I want to welcome everybody to the webinar tonight. My name is Ryan McKnight. I'm the Chief Executive at the North of England Football Academy. And I can't believe it's been a month since we were last together when we had Albert Capellas uh, for our first Coaches Corner webinar. And it was absolutely fabulous to have Albert, current Danish under 21 coach, ex Barcelona Academy coach and we're absolutely over the moon that we're keeping ourselves top top we're keeping on raising our bar with our guest today Marink Raydykening so now to introduce uh, Marink formally I'm going to hand over to head of academy at NEFA Spencer Fern. Spencer good evening how are you good evening Ryan I'm good how are you doing uh, I, I'm, I'm full of the joys of life after Boris's announcement we've got a, we've, we've got the wind in our sails uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is yeah. hopefully there for us. And I, and I think it's fitting that we've got this webinar tonight because I feel it really should have been part of Boris's statement earlier on. I think it should have been, to be fair. Yeah, and I'm I, really happy that Boris has said the 21st of June that we're going to be out of lockdown and England play the Czech Republic the day after. I mean, I think he's, he's, not, he's not a bad lad, Boris. He's not a bad lad. My opinion's changing of him. It really <laughs> is. So thanks, Ryan, and good evening, everybody, and welcome. A very warm welcome to Marink, who's joining us tonight from the beautiful city of Amsterdam. Um, he's worked with the KMVB, so the Dutch Federation, the world-famous Ajax Academy, and the almost as famous West Bromwich Albion Academy as well, as working in Belgian football, in senior football. In the past two years, he's been focusing on his PhD, so his doctorate, and completed a thesis called Teach Me How to Dance With You, which is where Marink has explored how he can improve his own coaching practice. And it really is a fantastic document and something that I thoroughly enjoyed reading. So as Ryan states, what we want tonight is to be interactive as possible. So I'm going to ask the first question shortly, and then we're going to hand over the attendees that have submitted questions already a few days ago, some of you. So before I come to Marink, so Ryan, what have we had in the chat box in terms of tonight and what people want to get out of it yeah fit in the chat box a bit a few private messages to do to me as well general feel is marink that people are looking here to develop to become a better coach um uh, you know to see the differences between dutch football into english football um uh, and and generally you know this open-mindedness about trying to um uh, yeah and there's a great little comment there about change management all these different aspects but generally the overall theme spencer people are here to learn become a better coach which is what it's all about Fantastic. Good stuff. Okay, well, welcome, Marink. How are you doing? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Well, we're all happy today in England anyway with the news. So uh, hopefully some good news in the Netherlands the next few days as well. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Hopefully uh, it's the same news, but I fear the worst, to be fair. Okay, well, hopefully, hopefully not <laughs> a few weeks away. Um, so, so Marink, welcome. And, um, you know, thanks for sending your thesis. Uh, it was about a month ago now and uh, over a week and I sat down and read it all. And, uh, you know, a great story that you told uh, throughout. It was very different to most academic papers for certain. One of the things that stood out for me, Marink, was that you mentioned that you, you had to take off your Dutch glasses and replace them with English glasses as this showed you a different way to play and to coach football. So what would you say that the main differences that you found when you came over to England compared to football in the Netherlands. Well, well, if 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 I start from the beginning, I I always see things as a Dutch guy. That as, especially the first time I went uh, abroad, um, and and you come in a new country with a new environment, within a new um, way of playing, actually, and but also during your normal daily life, uh, things are 
generally the same, but in details very different. So a, a good example is, for example, when I was in when I was in England, um, everybody when I asked like, uh, "How are you doing?" Then some people said to me, "Not too bad." So I was like, "Hey, are you okay?" You know, like. <laughs> it's, it's, so I was, I was like, okay, this is a, a normal way of saying that you are good. So those little things are different. And then when I was giving my first session, my English wasn't as good as it is, as it is now. So I was, I was struggling um, with the language first. And then also I recognized that I was not as effective as I was in Holland because I was still thinking from my own Dutch background. Um, I was working in Ajax and, and KMVB. And uh, it is the same way of playing in Holland we have. Like, you know, the total football, we like to play out of the back. The long ball is filthy. We have technical players. Um, tactically, everything needs to be sorted very well. We need to think about every detail of the process um, of, of defending and attacking and transition. But um, what I... And, and, um, and, and that would be in a certain way. And in England, that way was slightly different than I was used to. The only thing was I didn't recognize it at that moment in time. So what happened is that I was looking for Dutch things where I was in a, not in a Dutch environment anymore. So um, from my perspective, um, I realized then, also due to my master's, which I was doing then, that I had my Dutch perception, my Dutch glasses on. And from that, I tried to take these glasses off and put as good as I could because it is not, I will never be an English person. I will never come from England, but I try to understand the English game better, the English culture better, but also the English language better because then it will be easier to out yourself, but also understand what's be below the surface, if you know what I mean with that. Yeah. And, and in football, that was like the, 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 the physicality and the, um, and the, the way of playing and, and, and approaching a game was so different than I was used to in Holland, um, where I always said, and it's a little bit uh, abstract what I'm saying now, and it's not completely true, um, but in, in, in Holland, we play too much with our hands. And in England, sometimes you play too much with the heart. And if you have the, the, the blend of the two, then you have, in my opinion, a very, very good um, blend of, of how you approach a game of football. So with, uh, I think we've got Ben, who uh, probably links quite nicely into this question. Is Ben Nicholson with us? Can we see him there, Ryan? Uh, I can just allow Ben to talk. Yeah. Hiya, Ben. How are you doing? I'm all good, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Good to hear from you. Yeah, same with you. Yeah, so, Marion, this follows on from Spen really and it's around the differences in the coaching processes between the clubs you've worked at in Holland so Ajax and, and then and the National Federation and the, Eng and the English clubs so in terms of the session designs coaching interventions uh, football language use what what are the key differences that you observed in your time well the the, the, um, the differences are from my perspective not too too big so football is the same game in that way the only thing is how you approach and how you manage. Um, it's the broader management of, of players. Um, in, in, in both um, countries, I was more aware of the fact that it was um, at Ajax, it's very much on the individual, for example. And in England, it's also on the individual, but with a lot of uh, focus on the team as well. 
another thing which was uh, different from me was um, that in England, until the under-16s, you don't play in a compet competitive way, whereas in Holland, you have the competition. So that means that from, from the age of under-8s, under-9s. So that means that uh, the approach of a coach can also be different uh, during a game, um, but also the pressure during a cup match, so like the Floodlight Cup or the Youth FA Cup, uh, was the, the pressure was higher because then the result counted instead of a normal game day um, in the weekend. So uh, that, that was in England. So in that, in that way, um, due to those rules and regulations, things were slightly different. Um, I think in Holland, the players were different in a way of that if I taught them something, there was always one person and maybe two or more who asked me, why, why are we doing this? I mean, I, I want to know and understand why we were doing this. And I went in, when I went to England, I was surprised that when I was done with my uh, team talk or with, with the, the explanation of what we are going to train, is that everybody stood, went to their cones or went to their places and wanted to start off. And I was like, hey, don't you want to know why... <laughs> we are doing this so and i believe in holland we go too much so if you now look to the coronavirus for example we have all our own opinion and we hardly follow the rules it's it's a we are very well you, you know dutchies are a little bit um arrogant in a way yeah. uh, and i and and that's and that's a good thing in one bit but in certain moments um i think it's a very big weakness and that's also in England. In England, it's 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 the other way around. I think it's a very big advantage that you have people who listen to the to the rules and regulations. But if it is too strict, you miss you miss that little bit of creativity and own thinking and understanding of things. So that was for me the main difference between England and the Netherlands. Whereas from a, um, play, a way of playing perspective or a coaching perspective, there were detailed, detailed differences. Is that an answer on your question, Ben? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair answer. I've, I've been to Holland a few times and played teams over there and had coaches come over here. And, um, and, and, and I think you've touched on something there with the competition that's, that's massive. When I've been over to Holland and, and been in tournaments, our players are all out to win, whereas it's, it's, a, it's a normal process that, that, that the Dutch boys go through, so they, they they take competition no different whether it's a tournament or or a uh, or a normal game. Um, ju just in terms of the session design, though, um, yeah. I'm just interested to, to to hear about that because I, I see a big range here. In you get some coaches who are unopposed still, and you get some who are the opposite end of the spectrum, who is everything's games based. And when I've seen Dutch coaches. They seem to begin in a lot of sessions with unopposed technical work. What's the difference? Have you observed that in England, or is that the way it always is in Holland? Well, that's not always. It's depending on the coach, obviously. But I think I think the the, um, the what you say that the, the general thing is that uh, you're uh, right in the observation. In Holland, it's it's if you look from a very again a very general perspective. Uh, it's uh, you start with a warm up, then you do a, a passing drill on a post, then you maybe do a passing drill or post or a position play, and then you do a game or a differentiated game to get into the end game for, for, uh, finally. So that's that's the general way how Dutch coaches do things. Um, and in England, 
uh, you had more like to follow the program again this the same as uh, as I told before like um, th there was a structure from the club and you had session designs there and you needed to follow those session designs which is also a way of doing things um, and and those sessions were mostly based on the same elements as we have in Holland so passing drill um, maybe an extension of the passing drill position play and then you go into your game and and solve the solve the problem or train the problem you want to you want to improve so you have those two weekly cyclists in 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 west brom uh, and you had a focus point uh, every day ben, ben, ben does that, um, does that answer all your questions yeah that's great for me yeah ben, ben, what, 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 Thanks, ben. What, Ben, what are your thoughts on the on the competitive nature of the games program here? Do you think we should shift back to something more competitive? Personally, no. I, I, I think I, from experience and, and the knowledge I've generated from that, the the fact that we have cup competitions adds that different value and tournaments going abroad. So, and we're talking about academy football here. Adds that different experience. I don't think we are of the mentality in this country that a lot of Dutch coaches have come across where they can detach themselves from the scoreline to focus on individuals. In this country, in my opinion, there's too many coaches who would take the result literally and would change their methods and and their, we'll call it a philosophy, based on getting the result of the weekend at an under-12s game that no one's going to remember in 10 years' time. Yeah, I totally agree with you there, Ben. And I think uh, straight I went to Papendal, I was there a couple of years ago, and I was speaking to Marink about this, and I went to watch uh, Vitesse under-15s, um, and they were training. And what amazed me, I, I was sat there in the stand watching them all turn up, and you know, half an hour before the session starts, they're all there, they've set their own practices up. It was unbelievable. And then in England, it's very coach-led, or that's what I've found, you know, being in the academy system. Uh, and then watching the session, there's hardly any interventions from the coaches. Uh, whereas in England, it can be a bit stop standstill, which, you know, sometimes has a place as well. But just how it, it flowed. And uh, that really impressed me about that different way of working. I mean, would you say that's like normal in terms of not many interventions, Marik, in, in the Dutch game? Uh, yeah, but what, what we lack, in my opinion, is, is that willingness to, to really get better and really get like, go, go over yourself constantly. We, we have a little bit of a a spoon-fed way of how we are raised here in Holland. And, and that's something I, I miss and what I really liked in England. So I agree with uh, the coach-led approach in England. So that it's, it's a lot based on certain hierarchy that you, um, that the coach, you listen to the coach. Again, that's a, that's a good thing uh, in some ways. Uh, but in Holland, uh, we have that, um, that balance. I, I mean, we don't say that we really um, want to win, but if, if it is on, so if you have to make a real decision between development and getting a result, I, I, I fear that half of the coaches will go for the result instead of the development at the end of the day. And that's, that's something, and that's, that's the beautiful paradox in football, in my opinion, because um, that is also uh, a... Um, a part of the game, uh, which you need to manage uh, also for players. Uh, I, I always am a firm believer that you have certain moments in a season where you can say, okay, now, and especially in the age of under 16 and above, 
Now it's about winning a game. Now it's about winning a league. How are we going to do that? So you get a, uh, you, you create a learning environment by winning. However, we as coaches should be de detached from that. It's not for our ego or our status or our own benefits. It should yeah. be for their benefits in order to that they understand how to win a game. And that's what we miss in, in Holland. We are too much focused on... Um, or the development, or that it is for my own coaching career, that it looks good on my CV, that I was, was very good uh, with the results. And I think um, it is a difficult line, a very difficult line to keep a good balance on. But if you do that correctly, it's, it's very fruitful for, for, for the players as well, because it puts an extra pressure on the technical, tactical, physical, mental details you can train. Fantastic. That's that's brilliant, and I think that's that's a great way that we want to approach the questions tonight. We've we've got a, you know another question, another question out of it, and we've got some some great detail there. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Cheers, Ben. Uh, next up is uh, Adam Clark. So I'm just going to invite Adam on uh, to talk. Adam, can you hear us? Okay. I can, mate. Yeah. Can How you are you, me? Adam? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm good, mate. You good? Yeah. Where? Yeah. Very good. Where are you uh, listening from tonight? Uh, sunny Ascot. Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, you might be able to get to the races this summer. Uh, oh, hopefully, yeah, yeah. After the, the <laughs> earlier, that'd be lovely. Throw us some tips when the time when the time comes. Um, uh, Adam, what's your what's your question for, for Marink? So, Marink, how are you? You good? Yeah, you too? Yeah, good, mate. Good, good. So it was you kind of um, touched on um, some of it already uh, in regards to differences, but I was just wondering if there were, there were any similarities uh, within the cultures at um, West Brom and Ajax, and this is for coach level and a player at the players level as well. Okay, um, so the, from from a coach level, I think the idea of the, of the intention of play was the same. So at West Brom and Ajax, you want to play out of the back, you want to dominate the game through the ball by having the ball, and um, want to get the back the ball back as 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 quickly and as high as possible on the pitch. Uh, however, the, the, the way of doing that was, was different because um, you are in a different country with a different background, with different uh, stakeholders and, and interests. Um, to give you an example, at Ajax, you have always the best players. You have always a, um, a high uh, expectation on winning and, and, and producing technical players for the first team. And it's normal that two or three get to the first team at least. And if they play there, that's maybe one. And at West Brom, that was different. Also because of the pressure of the Premier League, you have like the 100 million pound a year. So if you are in the Premier League, that is a lot of money. And at Ajax, that is less of a thing. However, you need to go into Champions League. And they now, when I was working there, it was not as, as big as it is now. Um, uh, and, and, and now they also changed that a little bit. So... The pathway is still there, but because they buy in players, they have um, they have less of of a um, of a chance of, of breaking through. Um, but the, the, the similarity was the intention of of, um, of of playing football from coaches' perspective and from players' perspective. That is a diff difficult one because I believe that the, the differences were, I wouldn't say huge, but um, different. So. Uh, again, in uh, Birmingham, I had a lot of players coming from different backgrounds, 
um, at Ajax you have that as well, but there were uh, less differences in, for example, uh, their social background and economic background as, that, as it was in England. Um, I believe that uh, the players Ajax had were all like from, from whole of Netherlands and sometimes abroad. So that has a, the quality was different and the focus in the scouting was slightly different. So at Ajax, it's, it's about tactical and technical details more than physical details. Whereas at West Brom, I thought it was more a mixture of all, but also physicality was more into the mix than it was in Holland. Um, so the similarities there were really hard to find. Um, but the approach towards the individual was to develop the individual as well within the team framework, which was the same as we had at Ajax. But at Ajax, it was, again, more on the individual because we, at Ajax, we pushed, uh, the, a lot of players got pushed through. So if there is an under-15 player who can play under-17, he will play under-17. Hmm. And that's that's less in England. Did you... Did you oh, go on, Ryan, sorry. Yeah, I was going to invite you to come back, Adam. Yeah, I was just going to say, so in regards to the coaches, did you feel that, um, obviously, was it like close-knit? Or were people, was there like cliques, so like little groups of coaches doing their own thing? And, or did they all buy into um, what, the, what the, the overall objective was? Well, the overall objective was clear. Um, yeah. The way of playing at Ajax is clear. The, so, so you have a little bit of a rough framework. Mm. And within that rough framework, you could, be, you could add your coach as being. So if you, if you, you, you are a certain person, if I give a session and you give a session um, and we say exactly the same things in exactly the same way, it could work for you, but couldn't work for me. Um, so uh, you have the freedom to explore yourself and show yourself within that framework. However, that framework is, well, I wouldn't say the holy grail, but it's, it's, um, it, it's set in stone in order to, to really push players through a same sort of methodology and same sort of um, process. Um, but with different voices, with slightly different approaches as a coach, but also from a football perspective as well, different um, details during training sessions, different types of training sessions, uh, because they, they believe that it is also beneficial for, for the development of players to see different things. Is did that a question? Yeah. Did you yeah. want to come back any further, Adam? No, that's fine. No, it was just um, really just to explore the uh, application of obviously the coaches within the two environments. Obviously, I've been to Holland myself as well, but I haven't been um, obviously in Marek's position where behind the scenes and you get to see it all as clear as that. So it's good to compare. And I've been in the academy system this side. So it was just more to see the cultural similarities, if there were any. And, yeah. and what, did you, what did you observe from, from, your, um, from your perspective? What, in Holland? Yeah, both and compared to Holland. Uh, compared uh, to England, sorry. Uh, similar to what Ben said earlier, in regards to the the, the practice design, um, not saying it was like the curver kind of model, but that, that kind of approach. This was a number of years back, um, but there was more uh, freedom, like you said. But this is what I saw, obviously, given to the players, um, an emphasis of development over the result. Um, I did feel the coaches and the environment was more welcoming and more open than it is here. Mm -hmm. in the UK I feel that sometimes it's very closed and guarded as if it's top secret 
Uh, no one can know what's going on behind closed doors. Yeah. Um, yet it's kind of the same thing everywhere. It's obviously yeah. diff everyone's got different application. That's all it is. Okay. Yeah, it, I think it's a really great comment at, at, at the end um, uh, there, Adam. I think one of the things um, uh, sort of I picked up from your question, I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are, Spencer, as well, um, and, and of course, Marek. In terms of that IAX model, how do they quality assure the, the, the programme that, that's going on? How do they, how do they manage that the coaches are actually uh, you know, delivering the sessions that with, that's within that fairly rigid framework that, that, that you spoke about? Well, they, they, the, 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 in Amsterdam, they, they are very direct, more, even more direct than, than the Dutchies are seen normally. Um, so, so you, so you know, um, so you know that straight away. And there is a good um, mix of, of coaches coming in. So you have an individual coach who comes in, and you have other coaches looking at your game. So it's more an informal way of doing that. You have a lot of old uh, former players who, who are there as well, who know the culture. The culture goes through the club um, very much, um, and I believe that is a very strong thing, a very strong element of Ajax, um, that there is a certain culture which you can't replace anywhere uh, quite easily because it is a unique, a very unique one, uh, with a lot of expectations and pressures. Um, but I think that is for the development of people. It's it's very good to have that, and I think through that. Um, everybody is very much aware of uh, what that framework is looking like. Um, yeah, I mean, Spence, what's your thoughts on that? The idea that the culture itself is the, is the quality, is the, is the QA, is it's the actual, uh, the thing that binds the quality together? I think culture is the most important thing, whether it be football or business. Uh, and, you know, that your values are aligned to that culture, you know, what your purpose is as well. Well, I was really interested, Mike, is it in terms of your first role at Ajax, were you uh, given a mentor at all in terms of your own development so that you fitted into the, the Ajax way and the Ajax culture? Yeah, it was in my first year was like a, a learning role. So I was I was um, helping helping out during every day. Um, so you had a six week cycle. Um, so that means that the head coach would jump from the under-17 to the under-18 after six weeks. And after six weeks, he jumped on to the under-19s and the under-19s coach went back to the under-17s every six weeks. Yeah. And then you had the individual coaches and me who, who swapped around through um, those uh, cycling, and every, but every day. So I, one day I was at that team and the other day I was at that team. Um, so... I, because I did that, it was for me like, whoa, uh, I, I, I started to learn a lot about the club, about the differences within the coaching, um, I, I, working with the ex-professional players who, who learn you the very specific details. Um, and I had one person I, I could go back to um, if there was any questions and he challenged me as well. So that those kind of things, um, yeah, they, 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 they helped me to to get in, ingrained in a, in a, in a way. Yeah. 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 And is there, a, is there a big investment in coach development as well? Everyone's been the UA for badges or, you know, BA license. Was there a lot of coach development that went on within Ajax? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, depending on, on the person and the wishes of the person, uh, there was, I think they did the, the Cruyff Masters um, as well. Um, and they did some, some other courses. Uh, I, I believe there was action type um, and, and there, there are other courses. So, yeah, they, they are keen to, to do that as well. Yeah, real investment in coaching, which is great, isn't it? Developing yeah. people, fantastic. 
Um, Adam, thank you very much for your contribution there. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Adam. Um, next question. I think we're going to Ashley Rye. Let's see if we can get Ashley, or we can we can we can see him on the touchline there. there. there I'll tell you what, Ashley, <laughs> we'll keep that on. Uh, Ashley, can you hear us? I can. Yes. <laughs> How's it going, Ash? Good, thank you. Good. Uh, good evening, Marink. Hi. Good evening. Oh, sorry, it's keep cutting out. He's been heckled by a train. Um, how do you measure development in your players? Yeah, I've, I've seen your question, and that's a, I found it a very fascinating question, and I was, I was uh, wondering how you would measure it, and then I would, I would jump into my thoughts. Uh, it's interesting because uh, we've uh, had lots and lots of discussions around this, uh, and imagine it is obviously the individual, um, and around individual attributes, so whether that's receiving on half turn or technique on distribution for passing, is it outside foot, inside foot, all different things. And then building, the, we use called a ladder mm-hmm. and build them, build it up that way. Um, so it'd just be interesting to see how others use it and how they see it. Okay. So, so the, the, the thing I believe is that um, you should, measuring is, it can be done in two, in two ways. Um, you can do it in a scientific way and a more in a craft way. And in the scientific way, you can do it again in two ways. So that can be a quality way or a quantity way. And it all depends on what kind of skill you need to, you want to measure. So that can be a, a physical skill, which is quite relatively easy to measure. And it can be a, um, for example, a football skill which is harder to measure because you can't say it's, it, there is a, a lot of subjectivity in there. So if, if you look into the, 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 the quantitative uh, measurement in the, for example, the physical way, it needs to fit within your game model. So in the way of playing and in the way of playing, it also needs to fit within the position, in my opinion. So if I have, and then the best example is, for example, a right back who needs to overlap he needs to have some physical attributes and physical um, data, which, which he needs to get, or t- he has to tick those boxes in order to be able to do that overlap. So you can think about the ability to sprint for an X amount of meters a match, uh, the, the pace he does that. Uh, maybe if you want it, he needs to be agile as well because it is one-to-one defense. And you can really tailor made that towards a position and even if, if, you have, uh, if you have the resources towards the individual itself, in my opinion. Then if you go to the quanti- qualitative one, uh, then you go into those football skills. You can measure that for, for several things by that, um, by video analysis, uh, individual analysis. But it always stays like a process because there is no context in, um, in football the same. So every situation is different and all kinds of passes, touches are different as well. However, you can do, in my opinion, some more abstract measurement in terms of, okay, what is he able to do? Is he able to, for example, delay? Or is he able to, for example, attack a ball? Or how does he shoot a ball? Um, and it, are there any, I, any details in there? So he is, uh, if he has to delay, for example, a first touch, is he attacking the ball with his foot, which he's going to touch with, or is he is he going with the ball? 
And if that is not the case, then you have a, a measurement where you can say, okay, like these are moments you can do this, but you still attack the ball with your foot. And then you have a sort of qualitative way of uh, sitting down with an individual to, to, to measure that and make that a sort of action plan for the next coming weeks or the next coming season. It depends on the level, but um, in the context, but that, that is something I would, I would suggest as well, but also, and then we go to the craft bit. It is that, how are you going to get those, those measurements across? Because that's ultimately, in my opinion, the most important thing, how you get them across towards those, um, towards the players. And that is up to the coach. You need to have a certain relationship. Um, you need to have a, a sort of bond and you need to know if he needs a, can I say that? Yeah, I can say that. A kick up his ass, or does he, or, or needs an arm around his shoulder? And um, how are you do? If you're gonna do that, if you decided what you what he needs, how are you gonna do that? And how can it be constructive towards the measurements you just I just mentioned? So that's that's how I would measure, um, and always keep 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 in mind that it is the science. So that the, 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 the data you collect, but also the craft, how you bring it across. And if you meld those two together well, I think it is the most effective way of, of measuring. Yeah, brilliant. That's great, that, Marink. I think, you know, working in the, the academy system and working with a lot of academy coaches and, you know, when it comes to maybe scholarship decision time, um, it's very subjective. Uh, and I was reading, reading about Alkmaar, so I'm a bit of a fan of Alkmaar um, across there in the Netherlands and, and how they use data to inform the process as well. Um, and I think you know, there's quite a number of clubs, I wouldn't say probably a cat one clubs in, in England, but maybe lower down that need to have a look at that. Uh, a bit more objectivity instead of just being 100% subjective and giving an opinion. Yeah, and, and also not, no, not general data. Um, now nowadays you hear a lot of people of players say that they run like 13 kilometers an hour and I'm like yeah but listen wait a minute are you gonna prepare yourself for a marathon or what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah. so Absolutely. it needs to be it needs to be in context it needs to be specific so a coach needs to define very 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 secure what he is expecting of certain positions of his team of um, the, the the way of of playing and um, that he has to have good conversations with the analysts in order to, to define the definitions for the data. Because if I have, a, um, if I have like, for example, one plus one plus one is three, then three will be my data. But maybe um, one a variable can be taken away because it doesn't fit really my, my coaching or my, my, my game model, sorry. So then one and one becomes two. So the data becomes completely different. So if you define it very, very precisely, I think it will be even more beneficial. It's, it's, it's a really interesting comment um, because also the, the players, um, certainly the modern players, they're actually aware of the data, aren't they? And they're cute with the data. Um, uh, I was uh, hearing somebody talk last week about how overall possession has gone up in the academy system, but the number of forward passes has decreased, for example. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, young players become obsessive about keeping the ball, even if it's sideways or backwards. Yeah. yeah. Um, Ash, did you have anything else to come back on or has that answered your, uh, your question? No, it was great. It was just uh, interesting to see about you talking about the player-coach relationship. It's massive, in my opinion. Sorry? It's massive in my opinion. 
player coach relationship yeah i believe it is at the end of the day um we we can have a lot of information and a lot of knowledge on the game of football and and all the circumstances around the game of football like the data but if we can't bring it across to a player it's useless definitely okay. we'll come to it so uh, i mean what we could do right we'll probably go to liam is liam with us let me get liam on hi liam how are you I'm good. How are you all? Hi, Liam. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Well, well uh, Liam, I think you're in Ireland, aren't you? Yeah, I'm in Ireland at the moment. For, uh, I was, I was, I was on a Zoom uh, to someone in Ireland this morning, and I think you guys, you guys have got a bit more lockdown to go, haven't you? About nine weeks, apparently, if um, if the rumours are true. Dear, oh dear, dear. Yeah, so Mary Liam works with Neff and uh, he went back home to Ireland in I think it was October. We've not seen him since, so uh, yeah, maybe, maybe next year, Liam. Yeah, this <laughs> right. Uh, go so, for it, Liam. My question is, well, before I actually ask my question, the rationale for it is um, you have quite a strong academic background and you've worked at some top clubs and uh, some people in clubs are sometimes close to, to people from an academic background. Um, that's maybe a little bit of a general observation. So my question is, in clubs where in clubs, um, people without 300 games on their CV as a professional aren't always listened to like a former pro. So as someone from an academic background, how do you best communicate your ideas to people who may value experience over knowledge? Well, I, first and foremost, I think you always need to have the balance between the two because uh, I have no um, 500 appearances in football and I, from, from my own experiences, was, uh, playing in a stadium is also a special occasion and uh, I was surprised by the impact it has. So if you have that advantage, that it is something you can use in the club as well. So I believe that if I am in front of... Um, someone I always search for the cooperation because I have something to offer um, which they I wouldn't say lack but I have specialized in that and they have specialized in another way so you have two different com um, worlds coming together and I think that is a very strong strong element of for things um, so I I believe that it, that it is not biting each other I think it can help each other um, and uh, it is a, it is good to see that some coaches are getting a chance without having a playing background, and I also believe that it is also good that former players get chances and have a staff around which is not only with, uh, filled with uh, players uh, who played with them. So um, it's always looking for the right profile for the job, and then search for a right staff around you in order to. To, to, do, to do the job the best you can. And with a profile, I mean a personality profile, but also the profile of the specialisms and the qualities the individual brings to the fore. Perfect. Um, that is that, perfectly, yeah. Yeah? Absolutely. Thank you. L L Liam, Liam, what's your experience been? I know you're obviously sort of educated you, 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 yourself. Have you felt yeah. that perhaps your education like isn't as valued or...? Um, not necessarily isn't as valued, but I find if you question people who have a playing career and you don't, then it sort of comes back on you. Like, who are you to sort of question question me? You've not played 300 games in the in League Two or something like that. And 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 I, I can I can see what you say because that is sometimes the, the the way you get a reaction of people. But how do how do you cope with that yourself? 
I don't really, it's not, it doesn't bother me in terms of um, not being able to, to have a career. It doesn't, I don't feel it's something that holds you back because um, you can't really change that. But I just feel as though I could communicate better with people who do have a playing, a playing background to sort of put my ideas across. So I wanted to send it, kind of get your experiences to help myself maybe communicate with them a little bit better. Mm. No, it's, I believe if, if, if you, again here, it's about building a relationship that you can say what you, and it, it's, it sounds very cheesy. Is that the right word, right? Yeah, so it sounds really broad, but building a relationship, understanding the person in front of you is, is key in order to have that open, direct relationship with each other, because then it's not about the, the games anymore, because people value as a person as well and understand your, 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 your way of doing things. So for, let me give an example. It's, it's maybe not as coach to coach, but I was 26 when I was starting to work in, in first team environment. And I had to, to give a session towards a, a, a professional player who was 34, 35 at that moment in time and was a professional for 15, 12 to 15 years and played on the highest level in Belgium for that amount of years. So who was I to give him the, to, to tell him what he had to do? So uh, what I tried to do, because I was aware of this, of this fallacy of mine, and um, I, I was asking him also questions, and it's not because I wanted to, to build a relationship, but I was very curious about it, how he experienced things, what his aims were, where he wanted to go to, because then I could also adapt my coaching towards him because if he said like, oh, Maren, this is my last chance, uh, my last year of football, I just want to enjoy, that changed my approach towards him. Um, but also after a session, because I knew he was, he was keen to really get to the highest standards, I asked like, hey, I, I just gave this session. You had these kind of topics. Um, I spoke about that with, uh, with, with the, the goalkeeper coach, because he was a keeper. Did you got enough... Um, balls on that and and if if not how would you change and sometimes he would say you know it was enough it was great or it was too much or it was too less and then we started to talk about okay next time how are you going to adapt it a little bit in order that you also get all the, the 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 traits out of that and i believe with a coach it can be the same way of how you how you how you manage that relationship perfect so yeah relationship before uh, before questioning too much i guess yeah, and then and then out of the blue, um, you will see that you, you the, the knowledge you have is valued because it it is um, a different approach and a different approach sometimes is 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 scary. If if I blindfold someone now and put him in a room which is completely dark and you take the the, the blindfold off, the first the first thing would happen will he and I will be gone. The first thing hap will happen is that fear comes in his body or her body and that is the same with uh, new knowledge or different perspectives if you are not used to that it, you are in a in a room where you don't know anything and you can't see anything um Marek, I, th I think that is i think it's such an interesting topic i think the relationship that we have uh with football education in this country is still quite embryonic uh, right throughout the spectrum um, of, of the clubs, whether it's coaching, whether it's on the leadership side, whether it's in, in, in management, whether it's in, in, in ownership. How do you see the relationship between education 
uh, and football in the UK compared to uh, in, compared to Holland? Uh, I think it's even more valued in England uh, than than it is here um, because we are we are, we don't have any well we hardly have any courses in sport. So what you have on the universities is you have nutrition. Well, you have nutrition as well, so that is not a good example. But you have sports coaching. Uh, masters and, and PhDs, um, bachelors, you have sports management, you have them here as well, but not as you have them in England, sports analysis, sports, all kinds of um, educational courses you can take or even studies you can get yourself on in order to improve uh, from a sporting perspective. But we in Holland don't have that university sport link as you have in England and, and, and also in the United States. So that is a different approach. So also in, in the sports itself, it is, it is, um, they have a different approach towards education within uh, the sports environment or the sports business. Liam, thank you for your contribution. Uh, I hope everything is okay in Ireland. Thank you. Next time Good week. luck with the see, lockdown. We'll see you when we see you, Liam. Well, yeah, happy Christmas. Thank you. Merry, Merry Christmas, Liam. Um, um, <laughs> Right, we're going to have a we're going to have a quick break now. Um, that my 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 pad is full of full of notes. Um, it's been absolutely fabulous so far. Um, but uh, Marik's going to leave us with a second question just whilst we have um, uh, that that break. And what what what's that question, Spencer? How are we going to how we what what's the question that we're going to ask the audience to have a think about in the break? Yep. So, what are the key principles in defining your game model? Can I, can I expand on that a little bit? So yeah, sure. I was just curious if someone has um, his own philosophy, mission, vision, um, idea of football, and what are key principles within that? So if, if you need to summarize it, how, what, what three points would, would stand out in your philosophy, game model? Uh, vision mission it's just how you how you name um, it we've had um, we've had a few messages uh, from uh, from the question which is which is absolutely great really interesting one from from Darren who's got his his three um, uh, I've got two of your points there uh, Darren basing the model around the capabilities of the individual players rather than the ideology of the coach Love that too. Taking the vision and culture of the club or country into consideration. For example, football is the third biggest sport in Ireland. Many staff members in elite youth development football up to under 19 level of volunteers, although some are working with under 19 international players. How can we make the most of that? Um, fantastic. Uh, right. Spencer, shall we crack on and shall we, are we going to start with that question from Keith, who of course is our guest in our yeah, March. I think, well, I think it'll be David. It's Keith's question, but with David. But you need to log into Keith. Is that clear? I think, well, I think the problem has been is that there's there's two Keiths on the, uh, <laughs> so I'm just going to have a, a little sort of sort of Russian roulette moment here and and, and, and see how we go. I've gone to David Hopefully again. Hopefully we've got I? David. I've, I've gone to David again. Hi, hello have. again, David. Uh, got well, me again. That, that's, that's, not a, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad, bad thing. Um, <laughs> You're working tonight. You're now delivering a question on behalf of somebody I else. I am. I am. I'm delivering it on behalf of my dad. But I think the, the question will be relative as well. It was something that when I saw it, it'd be useful. So uh, the question from my dad, Marink, is during a coaching session, what would a successful coaching session look like for you? 
the, the, the coaching or training session? I think it's a training session. Do you mean that? Yeah. Is that the same? Okay. Uh, I, it will look chaotic and that players are very uncomfortable. Um, that is how a good training session for me looks like. And it's not chaotic and uncomfortable because it is um, not well organized or not well thought. I think it needs to be on purpose with a certain purpose and a certain focus on either technical, tactical, mental or physical details, maybe psychological details as well, or a combination of those in order to challenge the players that much, but specifically on certain points which you uh, were looking for be on before. Um, and sometimes um, when um, the session is chaotic, also new things happen and that you also accept that those new things are there. And that can be also very um, strange mistakes, um, very uh, strange behavior. And how you manage with that and how you do with that in order to get the long term going well or to get the development in as you wished you would do that. So in that way, it needs to look chaotic and the players need to be challenged. And you get some behavior or sometimes conflicts or fights or whatever that may be, or maybe a session which is completely um, crap. I have no better English words for that, but uh, looks, looks, looks crap, but um, is, is, is cognitively very challenging. So maybe the level is very low. So the physical level is very low. But within the hats, they are working very hard. But that's what, something we can't see. But if, how you see it is that the, 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 the intensity physically is very low. So that, that's how I would prefer my sessions to look like. And that's with nearly every session. Also, depending on the day and where we are in, in, in the week um, and where we are uh, in the, which, which group you work. So in first team, it's uh, something different. Um, and maybe with under 21s, under 18s, sometimes that will be different, but mainly um, in every session I do, I, I, I wish I could do that. But again, it needs to fit within the long-term plan. But I think yeah. that is. Got it. Um, in terms of that, so you mentioned the, the two things that you mentioned at the start of it was uh, chaotic. Yeah. So chaos and then them being uncomfortable. The first question I have related to that was what for you what does chaotic look like chaotic look like that um, players are struggling with um, the, the um, challenge you give them so that they are not that it is a little bit above their level or sometimes very much above their level that they need to find out like Oof, we have a mountain to climb here in order that they um, that they improve in the areas you you wish them to improve in, and chaotic is sometimes also. Um, I give an example. I sometimes give a passing drill in order to um, improve communication. So in my coaching, I am on them in the technical and tactical details, whereas unconsciously they need to communicate with each other because they need to make sure that the rotations within that passing drill go well. And I know before that communication will be one of the elements they need to have in order to organize themselves if the ball goes bad or that uh, uh, the, the organization is out of, um, 
how do you say that uh, out of uh, control really so they don't yeah. uh, disorganize maybe that's a better way of putting it and then they need to solve it themselves i'm not going to solve it because i am on the technical and tactical details so sometimes i make like two captains who need to solve it or sometimes i say okay guys that's up to you um, another way i did it when i was working in england i started to explain a new session in dutch and um and I, I on purpose used my body language very much in order to that they had some idea, but their interpretation of what I was telling, because I was sure that nobody speak Dutch. And if they did, it, it was stupid because Dutch is a useful language, by the way, okay. uh, useless language. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in that in that way, I try to um, get them to think for themselves and dare to make mistakes. But that looks in the beginning very messy. And then they have to communicate and organize with each other something. So that is what chaos means to me. So always like throwing a, a brick in a clear water and, and try to, to get something out of, out of the session. Right. And then the other one, so the other word was uncomfortable. Yeah. So with that being said, how do you know when to rescue players? How do you know when they may be in too deep and you might have to reel, it, reel them back in a little bit? Um, that, that depends on, on what you want. And it's also, um, you know, your players. Um, again, that is very, very abstract what I'm saying right now, but it's, that's the craft part I was mentioning earlier on another question. Um, and sometimes I believe it is, it's also good to let them drown for a little bit as long as you are there to rescue them if it really goes wrong, if you know what I mean. And it's not um, not based on, if, if it is too dangerous, don't get me wrong, if it is too dangerous, you, you have to stop. So if it's affecting health and safety, but um, drowning in, in a way of technical, tactical abilities or coping with the challenge, well, sometimes it's like, okay, just do it. Or that I coach a little bit more direct or a little bit more demanding towards them that they are very much affected by my coaching or by someone else's coaching or the lack of coaching sometimes. Um, and that's how you, how you try to, to get the best out of them. And I, I like that little bit of conflict in my coaching as well, because then people are on their toes and, and it's not that you need to be always on your toes, but you need to have those moments where people are on their toes. And again, that is also within the situation, within the context, within the team you work, um, uh, it, 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 you really need to be switched on about is it possible now or mm, today? No, quiet. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Situational understanding. Yeah, uh, good word. Thank you. That's, um, yeah, I'm, from, from me, that's it. I, I think I'll thank you on my, my dad's behalf for <laughs> the, uh, the first question and. And for the follow-up ones too, it's, uh, it's, it's been excellent so far. I'm enjoying it. Thank you Fantastic. very much. And thank you, Dad, for me as well. I will do. <laughs> Thanks, David. Thanks. Thanks, David. Um, yeah, I think we'll go to, um, uh, to Romy next. Hi, guys. Romy. How are you doing? Romy, I hope, I, hope, I, hope, I hope you're as happy as you are in that picture. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm very happy indeed. Uh, learning about coaching is it's it's my hobby. Um, so, so I'm interested about this picture. It looks like there's some fans in the background. What is the, Is this a game? Is it or? It's uh, it was a game uh, against uh, Scotland. I'm Albanian and oh. uh, Albania played Scotland, and uh, it was a great day out. Uh, I was there with my friends, and uh, yeah, we felt very welcomed by the Scottish uh, fans and hospitality. We lost two 0 but I didn't care less. I, I enjoyed the day out. It was great. Great country. <laughs> I mean, Albania. Albania went through a little stage of having some excellent players. I know you lost some players to to, to Kosovo, uh, Shala, for example. Um, but but how do you feel about Albanian football? Do you feel like it's coming back strong at the moment, or? Oh, my dream has always been uh, have Kosovo and Albania uh, as a one nation playing uh, okay. in a competitive um, competitions. But uh, that's more political yeah. than uh, sporting. Uh, you know, we we uh, I can say happily I was uh, I lived to to see a country like Albania that came from uh, a very tough uh, uh, history Absolutely. to compete in a, in a, in the highest level of European uh, Championship in 2016, which I was very um, blessed to go and uh, join from uh, in France with some of my family and friends. Um, it's uh, um, Albania's um, players. Obviously, my generation, we grew up abroad, either in Italy, Germany, Greece, England. And um, those youngsters now, uh, they grew up in Europe and they have developed in the European system. And now the, 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 um, the task for the Albanian coach is how do we find these youngsters? Because they're all spread out um, from their parents, obviously, they're Albanians, but... Uh, they they have no clue about Albania. They don't even speak the language, mm. so it's uh, it's a bit difficult to to approach these youngsters and come and play for Albania instead of um, yeah, uh, England or yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, what's, uh, what's your question, Romy? Oh, um, it's quite a quite a long one, uh, but um, I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, I love Dutch. I, I've, I've married a Dutch wife. I've always been a Dutch supporter since I was ten. Um, my first European, the Dutch, uh, no, the World Cup, 1990, Italy. So I've always loved the Dutch football. Now, the Dutch academies seem to produce lots of quality players year after year, and they seem to sell them. It's like an academy factory. We all know that. Um, is there a rule or is there a, um, something that KVB has asked the clubs to give a chance to the academy players um, at the first team? Do they have to give three or four academy players five games a season to um, to get them ready? Or how does the system? How do they um, uh, how do they do so good that here in England we can't we can't seem to um, produce uh, or ex export? quality yeah. players abroad yeah i think it's a great question Robbie. you know so, so uh, mary is there something structural going on in in holland that means that you produce more better players i think it has to do with a lot of factors but i think the main factors are and, and there is no rule so th to answer your questions straight away is there is no specific rule saying that you need to have x amount of graduates in your first team uh, but i think there are some some very important elements here in holland where 
where we can make a difference. Um, first and foremost is the infrastructure of football amateur clubs or grassroots clubs and, um, and, and professional academies. Uh, I think those are from a high quality as well as amateur clubs. We, we have a good uh, accommodations. We have a lot of clubs here and they play competitive towards each, uh, against each other every weekend. And that is very well organized. Uh, besides, we are a very small country. So our best players play our best players quite easily. It's not like you have in England. You ha I think you, you have the separation between the north and the south. Right. I don't know if it's still the same, but I guess it's, it's still the same. And, and, and you, you sometimes miss to play against better, better teams or better generations. Um, and that's that's uh, one of the things. And the other thing is, is that in, in Dutch football, we are dependent on our academies. So uh, we can't buy players for millions. Um, some clubs don't even have money to, have, um, to, to buy players. They need to sign them for free or... They, they, um, they need to get them from youth academies, from other clubs or their own. And that is something which is, so there is a dependability yeah. on those uh, academies one way or another. And I think um, by giving, having that, they give automatically young players um, an opportunity to develop themselves in these kind of um, first team environments because the difference between academy football and first team football and I can also from first hand uh, say it, it's, it's a different world it's a completely different world so you need to adapt yourself again within a first team structure and um, and and that's that's something very valuable here in Holland because those lower so the second league clubs are very much dependent on the the youth players coming from Ajax and are not good enough to reach the first team but also a, a team as Ajax and PSV and Feyenoord are very much dependent on those next generations, good players, and give them a chance in the first team in order to sell them, because that's the business model. Fantastic. Romy, thank you so much for your contribution there. Thank you. I hope you're well. Take Thanks, care. Thanks, Romy. Uh, Spencer, back to yourself. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just uh, changing tack slightly, um, in terms of parents marrying, particularly um, yeah. with um, the Ajax and the Netherlands model, what kind of involvement do they have uh, in the journey of the young person? And how, how often are they in contact with the club? I, I, I'm not too sure about that, um, but it's, it's, it's always be. Let's say it like this. I, I can, I can get, get my own uh, perception on it. I think it is one of the most important things in, 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 the, in the development of a child. Uh, I think in, at Ajax, we had meetings with parents uh, formally, I think once or twice a year. Yeah. At West Brom, we had the same. Um, and at the Canva Bay, I did like uh, every, because at the Canva Bay, I was a week, was a weekly program really. So you, you went in a week and you got all kinds of players from all amateur clubs and you went together. I started with explaining the whole process towards the parents and the children. And then after each match, I was always available for like questions or how to develop, where to focus. So also with the parents, I, I went into the canteen and uh, we, I, I was open to ask uh, to answer any questions they ask. Yeah. Um, so from my perspective, that is one of the biggest things because first and foremost, the, 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 everybody needs to be, needs to understand um, what we are working on and why we are doing things. 
um, and because um, they all parents also put a lot of time and effort in in order to bring their child to the club to pay the to pay the contribution to nah, all those kind of things. So the parent is heavily involved. Not to speak only about the emotional attachment you have towards your child. So it is something you should take into account, and I believe can be more and better um, have a better attention to. Because we are keen to say that uh, parents are difficult, but I believe that no parent is difficult because a parent wants the best for his child. And yes, sometimes the interest of a parent and a coach are different, but I believe that if you, un if you understand them and they understand you, why you do what you do and how you are doing that, um, you can also get to... to to, to know each other and, and, and get each other's interests. So you, you can work together and merge together at the end of the day. Um, and I also believe that sometimes it's good to, to say to parents proactively, okay, listen, I'm going to do this to your child. So it, this, it can happen that he will be frustrated. He will be, um, he will be down because it's, it's will be a difficult challenge. He's going to face. He's not going to play well, maybe. But don't worry, we know that we do it on purpose. Those kind of, those kind of, no. But that's that's yeah. that's sometimes development demands that in order to to get the best out of the individual for the long term. Mm -hmm. And then then there is a short term uh, pain also for the parents. So if you if you take them on that journey and uh, guide them in that, and also be very strict towards them if they go over the line of that they're gonna. Uh, get into uh, the process itself, um, then you always say, say, no, this is our job. If you don't want this, then, uh, then, then we are not going to work with your son anymore, or daughter anymore, because this is where we are hired for. Yep. And you can disagree. We can have a chat about it. But if we agree that we're going to do this, then, uh, then this is the way we're going to do it. Yeah, I thought what I really like there, Marink, is uh, forewarning the parents about there's going to be an uncomfortable situation yep. for the son. Um, and I think so. So in terms of I don't know if you're working on play playing into the the centre backs, for example, would you explain to the parents that over the next couple of weeks this is the type of stuff that we're going to be doing in training? Would we go to that level of detail? Can be, uh, or I ask a question. So again, uh, in an informal discussion, I ask like, what, what did you see during the match? Um, what do you think we focused on? So they can tell me what they think and what they see. So you can learn from their perspective as well. And, and, and in Holland, uh, for example, at the KNVB, I had a team manager and he always got like, I, I, that was my instruction also. Like he needed to, has a, had a listening ear towards how the parents thought that what the, the main topics were um, considering my, perspective because it's sometimes difficult for parents to say directly to me what they think or how they feel about it so I also had someone uh, like putting a toe in a water in order to know a little bit what the topics were so my questions towards those parents could also be like okay hey, what did you see or uh, how did you how did you think your son played so it was like a, an icebreaker from the beginning yeah no, I think that's really good. And I think the more, from a personal perspective, the more we involve parents, the better. Yep. At the end of the day, it's their child. Uh, you know, they're the most important part in their development. Uh, and, you know, to go to adulthood as well, generally. So. Yeah, and, and, and the one parent is very keen to know the build-up from the back. And then I'm, I'm, I'm happy to explain that. But the other one says, I don't care about football. Yep. Uh, 
good luck with it. If he's happy, then he's happy. So it's always a differentiation in, in, yeah. in the process. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you. No, no worries. Good stuff. Um, I, I'm going to go to um, uh, Dustin. Uh, Dustin, I'm just going to bring you on. Um, you had a really interesting question that you've put in the Q&A box. Are you there, Dustin? Can you can you hear us? Hi there. Can you hear me? Got Hi, you. Dustin. How are you? Hi there. Good stuff. Dustin, you asked a really interesting question in the in the Q&A box, so um, uh, go for it. Sure. Just early in the discussion, you, uh, the topic was raised about um, a club like Ajax, where every coach knows exactly how to continue the same principles and coaching philosophy. But if you're in a situation whereby you're trying to, possibly in a small town or in a region, implement a specific style of play, and you have small sessions with coaches at the different clubs, but you don't have the luxury of coaching or interacting with them continuously. How do you manage so that they don't go off and do their own thing, but they continue in the process of trying to implement a specific way of playing long-term to assist this whole development process? Great question. It's a very good question. Um, I think then you need to think strategically about, okay, what are the important things which fit the coaches fit the environment and fit the, I don't know, the, 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 the age groups. And, and then you make just a few basic um, from my, uh, aspects where you focus on. So that can be a technical detail and maybe a technical detail can be a touch, a pass, a, a certain movement. Um, and then also in the tactical detail, you can say like, okay, uh, I want our teams for, uh, just to press high and to understand that we play out from the back unless we are, for example, one-on-one -on -one at the back. Uh, so on, on, the, uh, on our half, the opponent presses that high that they are one-on-one -on -one at the back of them. So then the long ball is effective into space. I think that is what those, those very short, sharp, but con and concise details you put into place and you just control them and ask people around their opinion and how they think about it and um, check and challenge them in, in their practices and also during match days and to keep it simple in that way and not too much just one or two maybe three focus points and from that you build the, the three to four to five to six but if it is ingrained that's how I well I'm not, I'm not a, an expert in that because I, I never worked in, in such an environment. But if you ask me now, uh, that would be uh, my answer. So keep it, keep it simple. Is that, is that answering your question? No, definitely. I think also what we mentioned previously, the example you made about the difficult parents, just having the discussions with them about why you're trying to implement a certain way yeah. and the advantages of keeping at it and just yeah. getting them to understand it. Let's give it a try for a certain while before we try and go anti it. And if you maybe have suggestions in altering it, we can just implement it as we go along, but have that open discussion. I think that was a good example you gave. Exactly. And, and then you also have, because if you keep it simple and basic, then you have the openness that people get involved in that and can buy into it and, and put their own ideas to the full. Um, and that, that's, that's the advantage of keeping it simple because it's too detailed and too complex. Uh, people will all have an opinion of it or just say, okay, leave it. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not interested. Exactly. Thank, Thank you, Dustin. Great to hear Thanks, from Dustin. you. Thank you.
Spencer. Okay, um, it can be difficult in the UK, Mike, and maybe the same in the Netherlands for coaches to access the UEFA B license or the UEFA A license. What advice would you give to them to try and develop if they can't access these national governing body courses? I would, I would always suggest that you, you keep on trying, um, but also know where you are good at and unique at. And um, um, it, is, it is a hard one because currently I'm also trying to, to go to the pro license. I know I need to have a little bit more experience. So in that way, I, I know what I have to do. But also, okay, um, what, I, what I do then is, is, okay, what are the criteria? How am I going to stand out in those criteria? And why do I stand out? So know yourself and know where you're good at, but also your fallacy. So, for example, like I told earlier, I never played 500 matches in professional football. So I will never tick that box. But what box do, can I tick? And that's why, I, for example, uh, it's not the only reason I did my PhD, but the consequence of doing a PhD is that that is a box which is not even in the description of, of the pro license, but it is an extra value, um, which is, uh, I think, valuable for the application. And that's, and that's for me, uh, to, to, to get to a B license or an A license, that is how... I would approach it because at the end of the day, uh, that is in the, the decisions you make are in your hands. So how can you, um, how can you be the unique coach they want to have on that course? Because a, a coach, a, a course is also full of coaches who have their own backgrounds and own flavors, but maybe they want something to, for the group process in order to, to let those, um, courses also excel in a certain way because it's not only about the, the content of the knowledge you get from the course but it's also the melting together of different types of coaches from different backgrounds with different perspectives and I experienced that I learned the most also from from the other coaches the other my peers and that's that's I think if you are can define what were you good at and if you can define um uh, a way to also show that, for example, by doing a course uh, or, for example, by doing a study or, for example, by training a certain uh, at a certain club or a certain team um, that you that you can show uh, your uniqueness in a way. Yeah. So so really saying if you, you can't access the, the B license, for example, is to get out there, volunteer, go and get as many different experiences as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and and try and try to to show that you are, um, and and not show in a way of putting it on Instagram. And, and no, it's just to show you, yeah. that you have qualities in 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 the job you're doing. Yeah. And 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 you know, Spencer mentioned it earlier. I think you yourself did, Marek, as well. You know, over the last really the the decade, the rise of the the the, the non-governing body course opportunity as course has been massive as well. Whether it's the Cruyff Master stuff. Whether it's your compatriot Verheyen, um, you know, the, the, there's other people out there that, you know, top top courses um, uh, where it's not a requirement to go through the governing body as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that is a very fruitful addition. If it's not only for the A license and B license, um, it can also be for yourself as a coach in order to uh, become a better practitioner and maybe also a better 
human being or better orientated human being because it gives you all kinds of in insights and, and different perspectives, which is always fruitful, always. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found that mate, when I was uh, doing the Johan Cruyff Master of Coaching in Amsterdam, the three weeks there completely shifted how I coached. Uh, yeah, yeah. It really did. Uh, and that obviously is not a national governing body. So like Ryan says, there are things out there, uh, you know, to research because it, it can be a real difficulty, uh, you know, in England and maybe the same in other countries in getting on the way for B or the way for, and I know the pro license in England, I think it's 20 places a year or something like that. So uh, yeah, you have to do something a bit different, like a PhD, I would imagine. Oh yeah, and much more, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good start. And then, and that's for, for, um, Again, do things because you like it um, and, and you think you can become a better you as a coach and as a human being. And then a consequence can be that a B license and A license are more likely to get on. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, Spencer mentioned the PhD there. I think we've not really heard about it yet um, on the evening. We've talked around a lot, but we definitely can't let you go um, until you tell us a bit about the PhD. What exactly was it that your thesis was looking at and what were the conclusions that, that, that you drawn um, fr from it? Well, let's start with the rationale on that because for me, um, that is the, the, the biggest thing. I, I found myself being a practitioner uh, who wanted to learn more, who wanted to develop himself. And I did a master's and I, at Hartbury University in England and I really, really, really liked it. Uh, because of the application of theory into practice and bringing it back to theory and well, that, that, that cycle. And, um, I, and my, my professor, uh, the, the, the teacher there, told me that there was a PhD in Cardiff. So I started to do that as well. And because I, I started the PhD, because normally you, you write three papers and um, uh, then you do only research. But the uniqueness in that PhD was that it was a taught PhD which meant that you sat down with, I think it were seven or eight other coaches and from different backgrounds, so tennis, um, golf ball, um, there was also a football coach, a rugby coach. And you sat down and you spoke about, uh, once a week, and you spoke about the theory, um, what it meant, um, what, it, what, it, what it meant into, in terms of the abstractness of the theory itself, how, how, it, how it looked like, and then you had to bring it into your own practice in your own way and bring it back to the classroom the next week in order to discuss how you, how you brought it into practice, why you did this and how you experienced it. And that was going back and forth every time. Yeah. And I, it, was, it was amazing because you get different perspectives from, um, from different sports, which is very beneficial. You get all the useful knowledge which is in coaching science and in science as well, uh, just in general science, you can bring into your context and you, you got challenged by your, yourself because yeah, you need to adapt your, your own way of coaching or your own approach or your, your session design or whatever that might be. And um, then after that phase of uh, being with each other, then your research phase started. And that was the one I looked up to as a big, big Himalaya mountain I had to <laughs> climb. And um, that is, that was, that was, uh, I, I went to Belgium then to work in first team. So I, put, I had to put my PhD aside. And when I was sacked, I had to, to make a choice or I start to do the PhD uh, and, and finish that. Yep. Or, or I jump back into football, but then PhD is, is gone. 
I finally decided to to take the bull by the horns and and try to get um, get myself out of my comfort zone in order to develop myself in a way which I never expected to do. So I wanted to do the, the research project, but I had the demand that it, I could do it my way. And my way would meant that it was um, of the level of a PhD, but practically understandable because I think coaching science is a, a science which is very practical. I mean, yeah. if you coach, that can't be in theory, you coach in practice and you can write about coaching and so you learn to, to coach in a different way or better or mm. however you want to call it. But what I, what, I, what I missed in the coaching science uh, papers is that link towards practice. It stayed abstract theory. And the ones which were like practical based and practically they were difficult to read, very, very hard to read. I was even like, this is... Uh, Hard stuff. I will never read this again if I was obligated to. So, so that's why that's why I, I decided to to write it in a practical way and focus on myself. Um, and I already gathered data during my during my um, my time in the first team, and also I did it from experiences. And what I tried to do then is take a phenomenological look, and phenomenology is like. Um, the essence of a of something. So if I ask a question like what makes football football and you need to, and you would answer it, what, what would it look like if I ask you, uh, Ryan? Well, what, what, what makes football football for me? No, um, what make, what, no, what makes football football? Not for you, makes, but okay, what, makes what makes football makes, football? And I ask you. Yeah, okay. Well, I'd probably say what makes football football is, um, wow, it's a tough question. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's obviously the sort of the, you know the desire to go and play well, to develop, to go and win. That's you know that's what makes football football really. So, it's the, it's so, that so competitive nature. So a board game can also be football, because I want to win a board game as well, and I'm very desired to to win that one. Yeah, you, you see, you Dutch lads, I've I've had this experience before where you put me in a corner. Um, <laughs> 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 no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's, it's, um, it needs quantifying. It needs defining. Yeah. And, and, and the, the funny thing is with phenomenology, you start to look for the essence of that phenomenon. So in this case, football, and there is no answer, no definition, because mm. it is something you can't, you can't say, okay, and this is football. Because if you say, for example, it is a game played on a pitch with two goals, 11 against 11 with a referee, blah, and you are very detailed. Yeah. And I say just, yeah, but if we see a kid play on the streets and, and just yeah. kick, do kick-ups, isn't that football? Yeah. So it is always, always a thing. But what it says is something about yourself. So if I answer that question, uh, it says something about me. For example, I went to Porto and I gave, a, in the Porto University, I gave a presentation there. And I asked the same question there, what makes football football? And they all said that the passion for the game and the fans and all the so it was very much on the emotion, very much on that. And I was like, yeah, but for me, football is eleven against eleven, and trying to find the right spaces in the right times, and I want the best player on the ball there. And I would, so I was like, hey, wait, it tells a lot about me what football um, makes football. So you 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 get really to the essence how we interpret or how you interpret football and by knowing that you can also learn from other perspectives as well 
And this is, this is what I did with um, my own coaching. So instead of asking what makes football football, I asked myself what makes coaching coaching. And I um, separated, like, and I looked at it from a very practical way again. So what do I really do when I coach? And if I looked at that, it was just I observed. I interpret what I observed, and then I communicated what I observed in a certain way. But in those three, there was a lot of me involved in there. And I went into to deepen that very much. Um, and and uh, I, I won't get into more detail because, it, but what it learned me is that um, it gave me a total different approach about myself and my own being, not only in a reflective way. So I look towards my coaching and I say, okay, I can change this, but also where do these kind of interpretations or my observation, if I look now to a football, so let me give a practical example because otherwise it will be a little bit uh, ooh, abstract. Um, if I am in a session and I look for a, a winger who needs to track back for 10 meters and that's what I want. That is my aim of my session. Very simplistic, very, very, very um, smooth. I do a session, I make a session design, and then during that session, I'm only going to look for that winger because that's my goal. I need him to track back 10 meters because the opponent has a very uh, dangerous fullback. But I, what I see is that he doesn't track back 10 meters, he tracks back 5 meters. There is already a fallacy of myself in there because I already focus on him doing 10 meters. Him doing 10 meters, not 5, 10. I told you, 10 but I don't see the other context. So the other 10 players with him and also not the opponent. If I really, if it's very simplistic, if I really look only to that winger. So then I interpret that as he being lazy because I think if you don't do what I say, you're lazy, simple. But then, wait a minute, I don't see the whole context and my interpretation is lazy, but if, can I, can I really interpret that way? Or is it maybe smart because he now blocks two lines instead of one? Or is it maybe based on his characteristics? Is it like um, the, best, way, the place, best place to stand? Or can it be that he doesn't understand what I mean? So do I need to um, explain him in a different way? And then if I uh, think he's a lazy guy, you know, like, like the, the, the primer um, thought I have, then I start to communicate and be angry with him because I dislike an, a very lazy person. So for me, that is already a way of communicating things, which might not be the case, but it's just my perception, my fallacy of myself. Is it, is it a little bit clear what I tried to say? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then after the session or maybe during the session, I start to look back in myself, where do they come from? So where do this uh, observation, interpretation, and this communication come from? Uh, what, what does it tell about me? So it becomes very reflexive. So instead of being reflective on something outside of me, it goes inwards. So I'm looking inwards towards myself. And if I, am, if I do that, and next time, my whole observation and interpretation and articulation or communication will be different. And that's what I tried to do. And it, it is a sort of spring. I, I took myself as a sort of uh, example. Example is not the right word, but as a, as a um, how do you say it? A rabbit in a, in a research. Uh, a guinea pig. 
thank you, guinea pig. And and but it was more of a springboard for a wider audience to do the same things in their own context and maybe in their own definition of what coaching is, but to let them think about what it is. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, it's a fantastic read and. Um, you know, reading academic papers, which I'm doing as part of a master's at the moment, is not something that I look forward to. But uh, the way that it's written and the story that Maring tells uh, is absolutely superb. And uh, he's very kindly offered to share the thesis uh, with all the attendees tonight. So I know we'll, we'll get that out to everybody tomorrow so you can have a read as well and uh, hopefully provoke some of your thoughts uh, moving forward in how you coach. So, Ryan, I think we are. I think we are. Pretty much there. That's gone quickly, hasn't it? It's gone. It's gone very quickly. And Marink, I've got to say that it, um, uh, this time last month we had Albert Capellas. It, it was absolutely fan, fantastic. But you know, I've got to say it. You've, 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 for me, you've gone beyond. And as a Wolves fan, as a Wolves fan, you know, you've worked it out. You know, it pains me. It pains me to say it. But uh, uh, I personally really, really enjoyed the last hour and a half. I've found you absolutely fascinating. So I've got a I've got a, a pad full of full of notes. Spencer, a few words from yourself before we wrap up. Yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, a great insight as well. Um, you know, good to see the, uh, the the slight differences between the Netherlands and England as well. And obviously, you know, the PhD, which I've you know, the, I've read the thesis, which is amazing work, as people see tomorrow when uh, it arrives in their inbox. But thank you ever so much uh, for this evening. It's been fantastic. Really great experience for everybody involved. Uh, thank, just, thank you very much for having me and thank you all for listening and um, if there are any questions or anything, um, any comments or, or maybe feedback on, on the thesis you receive tomorrow, let me know. No problem. Fantastic. Yeah, you're on uh, link, LinkedIn, are you marrying? Yeah, I am. You're on LinkedIn, yeah, so uh, on there as well. So I think next up, uh, well, we've had David, uh, who's been on the call tonight, David Mayer, and he's uh, asking a few questions for his dad, Keith. Uh, I think it's maybe with us as well. Um, so, you know, again, this is a, another great event that I'm looking forward to. I've known Keith for uh, probably about six years now. Absolutely fantastic fella. Um, did some courses at St. George's with him and uh, obviously his son as well. And they're the authors of the best-selling coaching book, Gold Dust, which I believe was Amazon number one in terms of uh, coaching books. So they're going to come along um, and share their, their knowledge, their experiences, also read a chapter from the book as well, uh, which will be another fantastic evening for everybody involved. Absolutely. Um, I've um, I've shared the link, uh, the Eventbrite link uh, to that event in the chat now. Um, we're really looking forward to, to, to growing these talks. So we would really appreciate you coming along. Great. Okay. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Marink. Uh, Thank you very much. Great evening. And uh, we'll speak to you very soon. Yeah, speak soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone.